Welcome to the best kept secret video cast and podcast from Centricity. If you're a B2B service professional, use our five-step process to go from the grind of chasing every sale to keeping your pipeline full with prospects knocking on your door to buy from you. We give you the freedom of time and a life outside of your business. Each episode features an executive from a B2B services company sharing their provocative perspective on an opportunity that many of their clients are missing out on. It's how we teach our clients to get executive decision makers to buy without being salesy or spammy. Here's our host, the co-founder and CEO of Centricity, Jay Kingley. Today, I am very fortunate to have as a guest on our podcast, James Sanders. Uh, James is based in New York, Pennsylvania. He is a partner in the MPL law firm. He focuses on business and commercial law, and he does this for primarily lower mid-market and small businesses, which we define as under 250 employees and under $50 million in revenue. Welcome, James, to our podcast. And I wanna get uh, started right off here. I know you work a lot with business owners of companies of this size, and there's been an awful lot of change uh, particularly as the pandemic and as we come out of the pandemic. From your perspective as an attorney, James, what is the thing that you think that business owners in this target market need to focus on and pay more attention to? Well, first off, thanks for having me uh, on the podcast. Uh, uh, I do appreciate uh, uh, getting engaged in these types of activities. Um, uh, I, I would say that The number one thing that most business owners today are going to ignore are their vendor agreements. These are things that typically renew on an annual basis, and they are things that typically get updated from time to time and typically coming out of some type of major life-changing or industry-changing events. So think in terms of like a 9-11, think in terms of uh, a wartime event, think in terms of a pandemic. Most business owners didn't realize that their business interruption insurance didn't apply coming out of this last pandemic. And the reason why is that this actually happened back in the mid 2000s with swine flu. And a lot of insurance companies updated their language to include pandemic exclusions. That's why you're seeing a lot of business owners, restaurant owners in particular, that are having issues getting coverage for business interruption because they were shut down by the government. Well, what I can tell you is, if you're looking at that, take a look at the other provisions within your agreement. You're doing a lot more online today. I just came, I just came across a case where a business owner was being sued because their website, I said it, your website was not ADA compliant. So you may say to yourself, well, how, how does that happen? I mean, I usually think of ADA compliance with, you know, my business structure, a bathroom, a door, a set of steps. Well, unfortunately, websites fall under that under the Title III, which applies to all businesses, not just businesses of 50 employees or more. And what happened to this owner was they were selling in the state of New York. There was a gentleman that uh, was blind. His software couldn't plug into the back end of their retail storefront, and he wasn't able to access the the items on the sites. Well, all of a sudden, a complaint appeared out of nowhere. And I can tell you that outside of the compliance with the ADA, the state laws had some pretty hefty civil penalties that would have uh, applied. Thankfully, uh, they settled it. But 
All I can tell you is that falls under the guise of vendor agreement, reviews, management, and check-ins with your professional service providers. Of course, business attorneys would be a great place to start. Now, James, one of the things that uh, is in a lot of contracts that just about everybody ignores, uh, you know, it's under the guise of it's just boilerplate, is something called force majeure. So when you talked about the pandemics and war, is that what they mean in a contract by force majeure? And is that a clause that is standard, it's only written one way, or do you have the ability to actually specify what counts as force majeure and what the remedies are? So force majeure clauses, unfortunately, get very uh, uh, boilerplated, and that's not a legal term, but uh, uh, when you read it, it basically uh, says that it's, you know, any acts of God, anything that uh, is weather related, uh, you know, think of, a, of a, an oil rig out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico that gets shut down by a hurricane. Well, they can declare force majeure and uh, basically say, I can't fulfill on my agreement. Well, unfortunately, as those things have happened, uh, it's been litigated, it's run through the court system. And what people have found, and, and the smart companies are getting ahead of it, is you need to be as specific as possible. You cannot be generic with how you're referring to uh, uh, what your force majeure options are. So again, if you have any type of supply chain that moves outside of your local geographic region or you're using services that are outside of your local geographic region, you know, think any container ships coming in from, uh, from Asia, um, you, you really need to watch what that force majeure language says both with your vendors and what it says for you with your clients. Now, I think, James, that most business owners, when they think of vendor management, really thinking about am I happy with who I'm using do I want to replace someone they're not thinking about contracts for existing vendors that they're happy with that are just sort of ticking over and they're not paying any attention so given the issue that you have laid out how should business owners be thinking about vendor management at the size level that I'm dealing with a lot of times uh, it's the business owner that's doing that review. Well, that business owner is often wearing about 10 different hats within the company and is doing flybys of these agreements uh, as they come through. They're just typically going to see the renewal on their credit card and say, good, I'm covered. Unfortunately, that's where things can go sideways. What I would suggest is you have an annual meeting with your accountant to get your taxes done because you certainly don't want to get um, uh, any types of late charges. You don't want to get any penalties, interest, and you certainly want to protect yourself against an audit. Well, I can tell you right now, think about contractors, think about building supplies and materials. All those businesses right now are suffering because they didn't review their vendor agreements. Their supply chain is, is all but strangled right now. And if they had the right language in place or the right insurance coverages in place, they would be more than protected right now. That's why I'm saying not only should you be meeting with your accountant, but your business attorney should be a once a year or once every six months, your commercial insurance provider, uh, same, same thing, your financial advisor to see how your investments are doing. All of those should at least have a review. So you're talking about a team approach and making sure that we don't take anything for granted. Now, if a business owner makes this shift from ignoring and blissful or perhaps non-blissful ignorance 
and puts this in as a regular part of their business processes. What kind of benefits do you see, whether it's in uh, reduction of risk or issues around the cost side? What could you expect as a business owner to gain from adopting what you're suggesting? Think of it as the, uh, as the foundation of your house. Your house is only as strong as the bottom part. If you're gonna build it on dirt, that first rainstorm, you're gonna notice that the house that you built that looks so so beautiful is gonna, gonna have some issues over time. If you put it on concrete, you know what you're standing on and you know that you're protected over time. I view the services we provide as the concrete in that, in that situation. Um, I often tell people I'm, I'm the next alternative to your insurance coverage. They're in the business to protect what you own is what they advertise, but go try and get coverage from an insurance provider and you'll see how quickly, how many reservations and how many exceptions that they're gonna look to, to not cover you. Well, that's where an, uh, a good business attorney comes into play. We solidify that foundation underneath your business. Your job is to go out and grow, operate, find the right talent, put them in place. My job is to sit there and make sure that your foundation is as uh, solid as it needs to be. Can a major reduction in the risk that you may not even be aware of around your business could save you significant sums of money in the event of one of these triggering events, which could be all the difference between you keeping your business and you putting the uh, plywood on the windows and locking the door and saying the game is over. Is that accurate? A absolutely. You know, a couple hours with me once a year, okay? You know, you're, you're talking about something that's under $1,000 per year of spend. Go get hit with an insurance claim. Go watch one of your employees take one of your company vehicles out and hit somebody and see what that costs you and you don't have the right coverages in place. Go have your supply chain dry up and you've got no rights to go get insurance coverage or go get your supplies uh, in the hands of what you need to do to fulfill your client orders. See what happens and what it's gonna cost you on the other side of that. You made, I think, a pretty compelling case for how we should rethink um, our vendor management. So let's say I'm that business owner and I'm like, okay, James, you've convinced me. What are the steps that I would need to take in order to make or to put in place an effective vendor management system? Make sure that you have all of your vendor agreements sitting in one place. Not only that, have your vendor agreements sitting virtually in a second place. Make sure that you have a system or a check-in to know when the renewals come up on those agreements because they're not on the date that you sign them. They're typically 30, 60, 90 days before that you need to notify whether you're going to change or update or terminate the agreement. I would recommend that you go 30 days ahead of that and start having that conversation with whomever provided you with that contract and then also bouncing it off of your, you know, your professional service advisors, your board of directors, whomever you view as uh, uh, the objective mentors that are going to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. That's the people I would be bouncing these agreements. Well, we're talking with James Sanders, business and commercial attorney with MPL Law in York, PA. James, in addition to the vendor management that you've talked about, what other issues do you typically help your clients with? And another area is with transitions, exit planning, 
uh, mergers and acquisitions, any type of what I call transactional types of uh, situations. And what I can tell you is business owners or ownership groups in the, uh, in the area that I serve uh, are often uh, poor planners when it comes to the transition of that business. More times than not, it's a very closely held or family run business. And what you have is uh, an owner that has built it from the ground up. They have issues with giving up control, but they think that once they're ready to walk out the door that whomever that senior leader is or son or daughter or niece, nephew, other family member, they're just gonna fill right in and be ready to take over the business. The problem is those conversations don't necessarily happen at the most appropriate times, or when they do happen, it gets mixed in with uh, a good degree of, uh, of emotion and feelings. And then when you start mixing emotion and feelings with business decisions, things go really sideways really quickly. And um, one of two things will happen, either that next generation or next uh, layer of leadership, um, they're going to either lose interest in doing what they're doing or they're gonna just up and leave. And then the business owner is kind of stuck because now they gotta go find a third party or some other way to monetize what is typically um, uh, their most valuable retirement asset, which is the value of their business. As a good business attorney, your objective is to keep your clients out of litigation, but just in case there is confusion, do you also handle litigation or is that another specialist who takes care of that should it get to there? Yeah, so I, I will take you right to the point of walking into the courthouse and doing the filing. Uh, it has to be a really unique situation for me to get in there and, and, and help out with the uh, uh, or, or quarterback the, the actual process of litigation. But uh, I have uh, folks in my firm. I have colleagues that uh, that only focus on commercial litigation. Um, and those are the ones that I will bring in. It's the nice thing about being a smaller firm is um, I can plug in with others when needed. Although I will just say as someone who's been on the other side, uh, work with a good business commercial attorney so that litigation is not in your future. It is not fun on, and even if you win, it is a horrible experience. Take it from me on that. It better have six or seven zeros at the end of it, if that's what you're going after. And I mean, well into the six zeros uh, range. If not, you're letting your emotions take over what, what might be good, sound business advice. James, there are obviously are lots of business attorneys out there, um, but tell me, what is it about you that makes you great at what it is that you do? So I am probably the most non-traditional lawyer that you will ever meet. I spent my entire career outside of the legal profession. I spent it in the business world. I was an analyst, I was a corporate strategist, and I was a business owner who bought my family's business and bought a second business in the same area, and I turned around and sold both of them. So what I will offer and I tell you is, when I look at an issue that you bring to my uh, attention, I'm looking at it from a business owner's standpoint and I'm trying to understand the why of what we're doing. And I'm gonna be pretty direct with you and pretty quick to answer what my thoughts are on the matter. We'll figure out what the legal boundaries are. They're always there. 
but let's figure out why you're doing something so that we put the most appropriate legal boundaries in place. Now, I've been licensed my entire career. And as I tell people, you only knew I was an attorney if I was upset with you or or if you were a family member and and, and you asked me really nicely. But, um, you know, I all I can tell you is is I'm a different kind of attorney because I'm not going to I look at things truly from a business owner's perspective. I've been in your chair. So many attorneys, I used to call them a doctor. No. They would, you would sit there and say, this is what I'm trying to do. And they would tell you every reason why you can't do it. And you sometimes just wanted to strangle them because the last thing you want to do as a business owner is deliberately go against your advice of an attorney. Like that's never going to end well for you. Having an attorney, James, like yourself, who is there to and understands the business and says, how do we do this at acceptable, if not minimal legal risk? is a true asset to have as part of your executive team. And I'll tell you, that's a skill set I pulled from my investment days as an analyst. Uh, the biggest thing we had to understand was the downside risk and how to exit from an investment. Well, the same thing applies in when you're, when you're looking at a business decision. Understand your downside risk, see how comfortable you can get with it, see if you can live with it and sleep at night. And if you can do all those things, then you know what your decision is. If you can't sleep with it, if you can't live with it, it's probably not a good decision. You've alluded to some interesting career progressions that you've had. I'm interested in what were sort of those major milestone events that took you from the investment and business world? How'd you end up doing what you're doing now? You know, it's it's uh, as I look back on my career and, and, and I think I've had five careers and, and people have approached my wife and I and said, wow, your husband five careers what an entrepreneur and she just rolls her eyes to the back of her head and 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 absolutely you know gets frustrated by it because we've uh, we've gone to three different cities and and i've had a number of different travel opportunities and and anyway long story short i would say the biggest seminal event in my career was um, uh, losing my job losing my job coming out of 2009 i was uh, working uh, for an investment fund and 2009 if people can remember that that was a pretty serious financial downturn well that forced me to really make a decision as to whether i wanted to stay on wall street and continue to go after the uh, proverbial uh, big dollars that people read in the paper or actually go pursue owning a business well i was raised by uh, uh, my parents who were two small business owners and they built a business from nothing. And I got the opportunity to come home, take it over, buy it from them, go through all the family uh, family fun and have the emotions and feelings and, and force them to sell it to me because I got tired of building uh, their equity at my expense. Uh, but anyway, long story short, that was the big one. The second big thing that, that was a seminal event uh, was when I bought my second business. So, of course, I brought my Wall Street attitude. I thought I could uh, analyze my way through it, and my numbers weren't wrong. Well, I had an accountant, and the accountant brought in a SCORE mentor for me, and they both were saying the same thing. And I bought the business. I overpaid for it, got myself upside down, and about 75% of what my accountant and the SCORE mentor told me came true. Thankfully, they helped me through it. I got the business going the right way. And I actually started mentoring for SCORE and really enjoyed the work. That's what triggered me to say, how do I make a business out of helping other business owners? Well, my mentor said, hey, James, you're an attorney. They have these things called business attorneys. You can do the work. Well, that's... That's how I launched it. So when I when I ended up uh, selling my first business, 
um, I said, all right, I'm going to see if I can do business and transaction work on the side and see where it goes. Well, the same owners uh, or purchasers came back and bought my second business about a year later. I had launched uh, my legal services in between, and now all of a sudden I'm a full-time attorney. So uh, between losing my job and, and almost taking my business upside down, those were the two big things, the two big you know, arguably failures that um, that I learned from that pushed me into areas that I knew I needed to land in. So you really educated, I think, our audience on the importance of vendor management and in that context, the role that a really good business attorney can play in helping a business navigate the world and all the things that sometimes we don't anticipate and we don't think about. So I am sure many of our listeners are going to want to reach out to you. What's the best way for them to contact you? So you can, of course, go and email me, jsanders at mpl-law.com. You can get in touch with me through our website, uh, www.mpl-law.com. Or you can reach us uh, via telephone, 717-845-1524. So any of those methods, uh, I will get back to you. And, uh, and this is what makes me a little different than other attorneys as well, is I'll actually return your call within 24 hours, whether I have something to tell you or not. In the show notes to make it easy for you to uh, reach out to James. Now, James, I don't mean to ambush you, but I'm going to do it anyway. I like our guests to give a little something, a little present, a little gift to our listeners. So I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to say, James, what can you offer our listeners in return for them hearing you out? So typically when you engage with me, I will take an hour of my time to understand what's going on and why we're talking. And, and I don't charge for that. In this situation, I'm going to get I'm going to double that. Awesome. I'm going to double that and give two hours of my time, almost a thousand dollar value. I appreciate that. And to trigger that incredible offer, please mention that you heard James on the Best Kept Secret podcast. So James, I want to thank you. You are awesome. You really uh, gave us some tremendous insight. Uh, guys, reach out to James. He is an uncommonly fantastic business attorney. Thanks, guys. Be back with you soon. Are you wondering how much longer you have to grind and chase for every lead conversation and client? Would you like clients to knock on your door so you no longer have to pitch, follow up, and spam decision makers? Well, Centricity's Category 1 program uses a proven five-step process that will help you get in front of the decision makers you need by spending less time doing all the things you hate. It's not cold calling, cold email, cold outreach on LinkedIn or any other social media, or even spending money on ads, but it does have a 35 times higher ROI than any of those things leveraging your expertise and insights at your prospects and network value. The best part, even though you'll see results in 90 days, you get to work with the Centricity team for an entire year to make sure you have all the pieces in place and working so you can start having freedom of time and a life outside of your business. So email time at centricityb2b.com to schedule an 18-minute call to learn more.